the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Today, we are going to talk about the procedural Senate rule called the filibuster. Right now, it's a hurdle to several parts of the Biden administration's agenda in Washington. And in history, it has been an impediment to some really important civil rights advances. There are two experts who are going to join us today who say things won't look like this for long. That the filibuster is, even if it survives, headed for major change. We'll hear about what that means for our politics and for policymaking. That's next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. We want to play a clip for you before we get into the show today, and it's from one of my favorite movies, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, starring Jimmy Stewart. It's a movie that premiered in 1939 and made fun of the gridlock and impossible politics of Washington at a time when many Americans were thinking about how hard it was to get things done in Washington. Let's listen quickly to a scene from that movie. I had some pretty good coaching last night, and I find that if I yield only for a question or a point of order or a personal privilege, that I can hold this floor almost until doomsday. In other words, I've got a piece to speak, and blow hot or cold, I'm going to speak. So when many people think about the U.S. Senate's procedural tactic called the filibuster, that is the scene that they think about. That classic scene from Mr. Smith goes to Washington. But today's filibuster actually looks quite different than the way it was depicted back in 1939. The filibuster has become one of the most consequential political tools for senators in recent history. Once something that was infrequently leveraged, the filibuster is now often used by both Democrats and Republicans to block important legislation from even being discussed, let alone passing. And they can invoke it without much effort at all. And because of that, the number of filibuster threats has shot up in the last couple of decades from the tens into the hundreds. With the filibuster's use, representatives need at least 60 votes in the Senate to make something pass, a number that is all but impossible to reach for members in both parties because our politics are so closely divided. Try to think of the last time that a party had 60 votes that it could count on consistently in the U.S. Senate. So as such, within the last tech decade, the filibuster has stopped all kinds of popular legislation from passing, including gun control, voting rights, climate change policy, and many, many more. It's even presented some legislation from being introduced on the Senate floor because representatives often know they just don't stand a chance in passing it for fear of the filibuster. Alternatively, much legislation is threatened to be passed through another process called reconciliation because that process doesn't require the impossible 60-vote threshold. It looms particularly relevant these days as the infrastructure bill, which is now being negotiated between $1.5 and $2 trillion is going to pass through reconciliation if it passes at all. Still, now more than ever, many Democrats are vying to do away with the filibuster, as many journalists, scholars, and politicos alike have been supporting its termination. Even moderate Democratic Senator Joe Manchin has suggested reforming, even though he says he would not vote to eliminate the filibuster. Recently, a Brookings Institute paper suggesting reforms to the filibuster was published, and we asked some of the co-authors of that paper to join us today to discuss the rule's legacy and its possible future. And that's where we begin the conversation today. I want to welcome Norm Eisen, uh, who is a senior fellow in governance studies at Brookings. 
also a former U.S. ambassador to the Czech Republic to the program. Norm, welcome to Detroit Today. Stephen, thank you for having me. Delighted to be with you. Also with us is Mel Barnes, who is staff counsel at Law Forward, which is a nonprofit law firm focused on advancing and protecting democracy in Wisconsin. Mel, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Thanks for having me. So let's first start with just an explanation of what the filibuster is, how it came into being, and how it works. Uh, Norm, I'll start with you. Uh, Well, the filibuster um, is a tool uh, that was designed in the earliest uh, part of uh, our Senate's history. Um, In fact, one of the important uh, developments, uh, early developments, uh, in the evolution of the filibuster uh, was uh, pioneered by no less a personage than Aaron Burr, he of the famous duel with Alexander Hamilton. Uh, and the idea of the filibuster, which has had so many evolutions and ups and downs over the past century, Stephen, the basic idea is that it's a tool for the voice of the minority to be heard, that the Senate decided that they wanted to make it um, uh, uh, difficult, but not impossible. And as you point out, the problem is now it's become impossible. They wanted to make it difficult to override minority rights. So the core idea is that the minority in the Senate has an opportunity, like in the famous uh, Jimmy Stewart clip that you played, uh, an opportunity to have their voice be heard. But it should not be until doomsday, as Jimmy Stewart said, because that, as we'll talk about today, results in a doomsday for our democracy if we can't pass reasonable voting rights and other reforms. Mm. So, Mel, uh, the filibuster has this dark history that I think is really an important part of the conversation today. It has been used really violently against uh, ethnic minorities. Uh, Anti-lynching laws were prevented from passing because of it essentially evaporating protections uh, meant to deter wanton violence against African-Americans in the Jim Crow South. Uh, Decades later, the longest filibuster in history came from Strom Thurmond, uh, a senator from South Carolina who was preventing the 1957 Civil Rights Act from passing. So is it fair to argue that the filibuster has been used almost exclusively as a weapon against marginalized populations uh, in the country? And that that is one of the urgent reasons to really rethink it. You know, the filibuster has been used to prevent all sorts of legislation with broad support from passing, but I think the civil rights legislation is by far the uh, most important example, and it's somewhere that I think we've seen proponents of the filibuster propping up the filibuster so that they can prevent things like the Civil Rights Act from passing. This is legislation that historically has achieved widespread support across America, across the South even, but still been blocked in the Senate because of this tool. And as you mentioned, Strom Thurmond still holds the record for the longest filibuster. Um, He held the floor and spoke. This was back when you had to do that for over 24 hours. Um, But even at that point, this was a, a tool of delay. The Civil Rights Act of 1957 passed less than two hours after he finished speaking. Um, It it had been pared down to prevent some threats of filibuster, um, but that legislation did still pass, which I think is an important difference from today. Hmm. Uh, So one of the things that I think is also important to, to note when you're talking about the filibuster is this idea of kind of tamping down, um, uh, you know, excited urgency to, 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 to make sweeping changes to the law with a bare majority. I, I, I don't know that, that there are many people who would, who would say that that's a 
that's a bad impulse. So, so one of the questions I think is always whether this is a tool that is being misused in a way that is thwarting the democratic process, or is it a tool that is fundamentally flawed and either shouldn't be part of the plot process or has to be reformed in a significant way to stop it from doing what it's doing. Norm, can you, can you address that, that tension? Sure. Um, the Constitution does not contemplate that a minority in the Senate would be able to entirely block legislation permanently until doomsday uh, that, that's just abhorrent to the American experiment. And what has happened, and it's happened in other areas of our governance, uh, as we're now into our third century as a country, the world has changed a lot, and uh, members of the Senate have figured out how to abuse this filibuster tool. Uh, yeah, perhaps it should be eliminated entirely because there's already minority protections in the Senate. Unlike the House of Representatives, Stephen, where you have uh, proportional representation, you should. Gerrymandering has made somewhat of a mockery of that. Mm -hmm. um, maybe we'll come to that today as we talk about the voting rights bill. To allow to be debated, they will impact gerrymandering. But in I think Norm's uh, connection is. <laughs> is getting a little wonky. Uh, we're going to try to reestablish our connection with Norm. Uh, meanwhile, Mel Barnes, uh, address that same question. Is the filibuster a tool that's being abused by uh, the, 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 dem the, the, the political minority in the Senate, or is it a tool that doesn't belong in, in, the, in the process because it has the potential to do what it's doing? I think it's absolutely being abused currently, and I don't think there's any real debate about that. We've seen this escalation of obstructionism over the past decade or two where things really have gotten worse. Um, and Norm and I, I think, agree that the filibuster, the, the purported policy reasons for having a filibuster, which, as we noted, does not appear in the Constitution, was not intended by the framers to exist, this idea of the Senate as a cooling saucer, as preventing things from passing too quickly with a narrow majority and changing broad swaths of American life, the Senate's existence itself is designed to serve as that kind of cooling saucer. We don't need the filibuster to fill that role. The Senate was intentionally structured to have staggered terms of representatives who are elected for longer. They are more insulated from the political winds because they're not up for re-election every two years, and they're responsible to a broader constituency, the entire state, as opposed to just a district. So we have the procedural protections in there to kind of prevent things from moving too quickly already by having these two houses. What this filibuster is used to prop up currently is to give a minority a veto over what the majority wants to pass as policy in our country. Uh, we have uh, Norm Eisen back with us. Uh, we we reestablished our phone connection with him. Norm, I want to give you a chance to finish what you were saying. It was uh, We were getting to a, a pretty critical point, I think. Stephen Mel said it so much more eloquently. <laughs> Even though the audio cut out, I could, uh, I could hear her summary. So the, with the, the, the Senate already having minority protections and with states, uh, with tiny populations having the same say as states with large populations, for example, and the other minority protections, the filibuster at least must be modified. So um, critical legislation that's desired by the majority of the Senate and a majority of Americans, like voting rights legislation in response to these terrible assaults on voting that we're seeing all over the country, the worst 
since the Jim Crow era, the worst since after the Civil War. We've got to be able to deal with that and not let a minority of senators block us. Hmm. I'm talking with Norm Eisen, who's senior fellow in governance studies at the Brookings Institute and uh, former U.S. ambassador to the Czech Republic. Also with us is Mel Barnes. She's staff counsel at Law Forward, which is a nonprofit law firm focused on advancing and protecting democracy in Wisconsin. We are talking about the filibuster, the Senate procedural rule that prevents bare majorities, either Republican or Democratic, from passing major legislation uh, all on their own. Uh, they need to get 60 votes to do anything really of substance in the Senate. It's a rule that has been around for a very long time in our republic. It's also a rule that has played a very nefarious role in uh, many legislative journeys in our republic. And right now, it is the hurdle that stands between the Biden administration's ambitions and the major reforms uh, that they would like to make. The question is, is it time to eliminate the filibuster? Is it time to reform the filibuster in significant ways? Uh, our guests today have put forward a number of different ideas about reforming the filibuster, which we are going to get to really soon here on the program. Meantime, we'd love to hear from you about what you think about the filibuster. Do you think it's time to get rid of this procedural rule in the Senate? Or do you think it's something that needs reforming? Uh, what do you think that reform should look like? Or do you believe this whole thing is preventing the majority of the country from implementing policies it desires? Uh, give us a call and let us know what you think about this kind of uh, protection of minority interests and voices uh, in the U.S. Senate. It's also something that we don't see in isolation in the U.S. Senate. There are many ways in our republic that uh, we prevent small majorities from uh, inflicting their agenda on uh, on everyone very uh, very aggressively or, or, or recklessly. But what do you think of those, those balancing acts that uh, are part of of the United States. Uh, do they work to the good or do they more often thwart uh, the majority of people from doing the things that uh, that they would like to do? As always, uh, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Uh, uh, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Before we get to uh, listeners uh, and, and before we get to the list of reforms that, uh, that you have put forward, Norm and Mel, I, I want to talk just a little about the, the prospect of, uh, of changing the filibuster. It, it seems to me that nowadays there is as much fretting about whether to, to, to change it as there is about how to change it. Uh, and, and I think that is not just, uh, that's not just a, a partisan divide. Uh, you have Democrats who right now are, are fearful of the idea of, of getting rid of the filibuster. Uh, senator Carl Levin, a former senator from here in Michigan who recently passed away, uh, had a really interesting conversation with us here on the show not long before he died about his profound fear about getting rid of the the filibuster and what it what it might mean. So I, I want to talk just a little about the likelihood that this could get done, and I guess the the dangers that lurk uh, on the other side of it uh, if it if it were something that were to go away. Uh, Mel, I'll start with you this time. Yeah, I think one of the really um, big reasons that you see people fearing the filibuster going away when they're in the Senate is, is honestly that the filibuster gives individual senators a tremendous amount of power when there's something that they are interested in blocking. So I can absolutely understand from the inside of the institution why you might be wary of losing that kind of leverage point. But that doesn't mean that I think having those leverage points is serving our democracy. And I certainly don't think it is more important than the work that we have to do 
that is just desperately needed to protect our democracy right now. Getting rid of the filibuster means that a simple majority vote in the Senate would be enough to advance all sorts of critical legislation. And that cuts both ways, depending on what side of the aisle you're on and what legislation you think should be advanced, for sure. Um, but the the really critical point is, is we have to do something about the way that our institutions have been damaged, have been forced into this position of gridlock. And part of that means making sure that our democracy is more representative of the views of the people. This is one piece of that, getting a simple majority vote in the Senate on critical policy reforms. But so are things like ending gerrymandering, making political office accessible to more people so that our democracy really can represent more Americans. Hmm. Uh, Neil or Norm, what do you make of that? Uh, Well, I'm sympathetic to the concerns that um, the late, great Senator Levin and others have raised about total elimination of the filibuster. And I also understand the advocates for so many critical issues who point out the way that this um, requirement for 60 senators to even open debate. You can't even talk about an issue. Uh, how um, disturbing that is to folks who want voting rights, reasonable restrictions on gun control, federal legislation guaranteeing uh, choice for women, so many other critical policies. But the reality is, this is my training as a lawyer, I suppose. Courts um, prefer to focus on the narrow issue that is before them, Stephen. And really, the issue we're talking about is whether we should make an exception, not elimination. There are not the votes to eliminate the filibuster in the Senate Mm -hmm. today, so we don't need to reach that question. Should we make an exception, a modification, so that voting rights can pass? And I don't think um, that sacrificing our democracy is worth it to preserve this tool. It's even more frightening to think about what will happen to our democracy if we don't push back on this terrible nationwide push to hijack and sabotage our elections by partisans. Uh, So um, that is a worse nightmare than the one that Senator Levin and others describe. And let's take it one step at a time. Hmm. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we are going to continue this conversation about the filibuster and its future we will also get to your calls and social media comments paul and royal oak mike and rochester hills greg and frazier you're going to be up first if you want to join them on the phones 313-577-1019 is the number here you can also as always go to facebook or to twitter and put comments there and we can try to include you into the conversation that way We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guests are Norm Eisen, a senior fellow in governance studies at Brookings and former U.S. ambassador to the Czech Republic. Also with us is Mel Barnes, a staff counsel at Law Forward, which is a nonprofit law firm focused on advancing and protecting democracy in Wisconsin. We're talking about uh, their ideas for reforming 
the Senate procedural rule called the filibuster, which right now is an impediment to the Biden administration's agenda in Washington. It is what stands in the way of pretty major legislation on voting rights and uh, some other things, for instance. Uh, Also, it's a rule that has had a pretty controversial history in our country and has stood in the way of many progressive ideas, uh, and including uh, civil rights legislation in the 1960s. Uh, as always, we would love to hear from you uh, about what you think about uh, the filibuster and this rule in the Senate, the idea of protecting minority interests and minority voices this way, uh, which has uh, for a long time been the way we do it, or one of the ways we do it in our republic. Is it time to rethink that? Is it time to change the way that works, uh, either by reforming the filibuster or perhaps by eliminating it? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's start with Paul in Royal Oak. Paul, what's on your mind? Yes. Hey, Paul. Well, the, the most interesting thing that I've heard lately, I've been following this. I'm sort of an independent, but uh, I will say this. On, on MSNBC, somebody had said that because of the filibuster, 41 senators representing about 24% of the vote in America determine a lot of stuff. And so when you think about it, from that perspective, it's just wrong, and it doesn't matter whether it protects the Democrats when they're in the minority or the Republicans when they're in the minority. It is just totally wrong, and I can't see any justification. I, I think it should be modified, but it could just completely go away, and I wouldn't have any problem with that. Hmm. Yeah, Paul, I really appreciate the call uh, and your thoughts there. So I, I, the, the part that I would love to have our guests respond to is— about the Senate itself and the way in which, because each state has an equal number of senators, that you have an imbalance there from the jump, that uh, that it's possible that uh, a number of senators, a majority of senators even, who are elected from states that, that make up less than the majority of the country could, can have control. The filibuster kind of, I think, plays havoc uh, with with that um, with that dynamic, and maybe exacerbates it in a way that's not just unnecessary, but but dangerous. Uh, Norm, what do you make of of Paul's point here? Uh, well, uh, I think Paul has a good point. Um, the idea of America is that. We will distribute power. Um, that's why we have our system of checks and balances among the three branches of the federal government. That's why we have our federalist system where authority is allocated between the um, government in D.C. and that in each of the states. And that's why we have two houses of Congress. Um, and so to give these individual senators uh, this degree of power and the current structure of the rules, as Mel and I and our co-authors write in our Brookings report, the current structure of the rules does indeed give even a single senator a disproportionate amount of power. It's too easy to block, for one, to block legislation. So um I am cognizant of the ways in which uh, the filibuster has been used by the minority to block bills, very frankly, Stephen, to block bills that that I think are abhorrent in times when um, when progressives have been in the minority in the Senate. So um, I'm really focused for the moment, even though I probably incline towards greatly, greatly weakening its power for all issues, I'm really focused on the moment, uh, in the moment, on getting the voting rights reforms. Because voting, that whole system I just described, mm-hmm. rests for its legitimacy on the votes that are cast in a constitutional republic like ours by the American people. Yeah. So this is the most important. Let's start here. Let Congress move voting rights legislation 
when there's a crisis of the kind we face. Otherwise, I fear for the health and the continuation of our democracy if we simply let these partisan state actors run amok. Mm. Uh, So, Mel, I I think one of the things that Paul is getting at is whether the rules of the republic itself are tilted um, in, in, in a dangerous way. And this idea of the Senate, uh, the, the, the equal representation that every state has uh, and the way in which that gives power and maybe too much power uh, potentially to minority populations. If you don't reform the filibuster, I guess, uh, do, you, do you threaten a wider conversation about and wider debate over whether the Senate should itself be configured the way it is. Now, that's a much bigger change, obviously, and a constitutional change and all kinds of things. But I, I think that there are people who are at least thinking about the fairness of the way that the Senate is configured and how differently that looks today than it did when the Republic began. Yeah, and Paul is right. The Senate is already an institution that can be run by minorities because you have states of different population. And, you know, the states didn't have the exact same population when the framers were setting up our government this way. But we've really seen that evolve and um, become a much bigger difference today. The way that we then magnify that kind of minority influence and minority control by then having the filibuster on top of it is, I think, what creates a a really intense distortion in our democracy. Because while we currently have senators that represent a minority of Americans blocking this crucial legislation, it could be even more extreme. The the 60-vote threshold allows senators who in theory could represent as few as about 12% of Americans to stop crucial legislation from passing. And this is something that the framers were worried about even when they were constructing the Senate. Um, James Madison said in the Federalist Papers that in any case where justice or the general good might require new laws to be passed or active measures to be pursued, that the fundamental principle of free government and majority rule would be reversed if you give the power to the minority. So this kind of minority veto power is something that the framers were considering and avoiding. And what we have now is just some of those fears being realized because of the political um, situation in our country and the desperate need for these voting rights reforms. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Paul, very provocative question. I really appreciate the call uh, and your participation here. Let's go to Mike in Rochester Hills next. Mike, welcome hey, to the show. Stephen. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm well. Stephen, I, I hear this conversation. I, I'm a little concerned. Uh, one of your guests said something about uh, being in the moment. He was talking about the voting rights legislation. What about when the moment changes, what about the next moment? We're looking in the 2022 election. There is a very, very good chance that the Republicans will take over again. Now, now the, we, if we change uh, the rules, the Senate rules, how is that going to look like with the Republican majority? Mm-hmm. I hear people, they, they're framing their conversation in how the Minority is 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 uh, taking over the the conversation. But what if what happens when we're in the swim majority? Uh, it's a great question, uh, and and I'm glad you called and and asked it specifically, Mike um, uh, Mel. We were just talking about this idea that the Senate is configured in a way that uh, minority interests, minority populations, can have real control over. Uh, over the the process because of the way that the the votes are divided up, I think what Mike is asking is would would it be more dangerous if you didn't have the filibuster in place? Wouldn't you have more of that possible? In other words, if the if the Republicans were to be able to take over the Senate next year, it's almost certain that they would represent those senators would represent a minority of Americans. If they could do anything they wanted, 
with uh, with 51 votes would would that would that be worse uh, would, would that create outcomes that would be uh, more dangerous i guess to, to to democracy it's a really important thing for all of us to remember when debating filibuster reform that of course any change to the rules cuts both ways and when your party is in power, you might like that reform. And when out of power, you might wish you had that veto <laughs> power back. Um, I, I think that that's something that is never far from my mind. So democracy um, reform in the Senate, it's not without hypothetical risks, right? If we open this door to majority rule on election-related issues, a future Congress with a different perspective and a very narrow majority again could put the opposite sort of policies in place, you know, passing a nationwide voter ID law, things like that, things mm-hmm. that restrict access to the polls. Um, but I also think it's important that the the future risks shouldn't be overstated. Um, America is very proud of our democracy. And when we've expanded the franchise, expanded voting rights in this country, there hasn't been a successful effort at the congressional level to roll those rights back. And I think it is because people are really invested in, in our um, democratic form of government and are, it's not what they want their elected officials do, to do, to roll these things back. We've seen a lot of attacks on the state level. We've seen rollbacks there, um, but it's not something we've seen at the federal level. And I think that you know, we have all these other checks and balances in place, as Norm was naming, you know, things like that would still have to pass the House, they would still have to be signed by a sitting president, they would have to hold up in the courts. Um, so it's, I think this is about restoring balance, but it's certainly not without future risks. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue this really interesting conversation about the filibuster and its future. We'll also continue to hear from you on the phones. 313-577-1019 Ed in Detroit. Greg and Fraser will get to you next. We've also got some social media comments that I want to add to the conversation. You can go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there and uh, we'll try to include you. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guests are Norm Eisen, a senior fellow in governance studies at Brookings, and Mel Barnes, a staff counsel at Law Forward, a nonprofit law firm that focuses on advancing and protecting democracy in Wisconsin. Uh, they are co authors of a recent piece that reimagines what the filibuster, the Senate procedural rule, could look like, how it could operate, how it could perhaps be less of an impediment to the kinds of legislation, for instance, that the Biden administration is trying to enact. Uh, We want to hear from you as well, what you think about the filibuster, its role in history, its role now, and what role it could be playing uh, in the future. All you have to do is uh, pick up the phone and call us at 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Or you can go to social media, to Facebook or to Twitter. And put comments there, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation that way. Let's go to Ed in Detroit. Uh, Ed, what's your question? Uh, some time ago, Senator Manchin, um, when he said he was opposed to getting rid of the filibuster, suggested going back to the, what he called the talking filibuster, mm-hmm. the Jimmy Stewart or 64 Civil Rights Bill type filibuster. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, do your guests think that, uh, that, frankly, this issue has gone beyond the possibility of that kind of reform? Because I certainly haven't heard him talk about it since. And it seems to me there are political costs to stopping the Senate from working and talking around the clock. But I, I'd like to hear your guests, uh, what their thoughts are. A great question, Ed. I'm glad you called. Um, we, we haven't talked much about uh, – our guests' ideas for reforming the filibuster, but a good place to start is with this idea, I suppose, of the talking filibuster and whether that is a path back to 
some sanity with this rule. Uh, Norm, I'll start with you. Uh, well, the, um, the talking filibuster is a path back to sanity, but only if we put teeth in it. So in our Brookings report, um, we um, dissect the history of the talking filibuster and the way it would work. Um, and, of course, that is the Jimmy Stewart model of a senator having to stand up, or a group of senators having to stand up and hold the floor 24-7 instead of the current arrangement, uh, which, as uh, uh, Representative Jim Clyburn has uh, described it, you can simply note your objection and then go to a spy in Georgetown. Um, so <laughs> you need to have that rigor. But in order to move legislation, um, you also would need to combine the talking filibuster with something like a step-down procedure where after a certain number of days, instead of the threshold to end the filibuster being 60, it steps down to uh, 57, then to 55, and so on, until you get to a bare majority. That's the kind of reasonable balance. And you could do it for voting rights only because they're so fundamental, hmm. just like we have this other mechanism that's in the news, reconciliation, where you can move budget bills because those are so fundamental to operating our country. Voting's even more fundamental so um, you come down to a bare majority in the end so you can actually move legislation and you just don't have a year of Jimmy Stewart in the Senate talking until doomsday. Mm. Would that, though, empower, for instance, Republicans to then pass restrictive voting rights legislation without the filibuster? I mean, does that, as we were talking earlier, Go back to cutting cutting both ways, Norm. It does. Um, there's no question about it. That's uh, probably an argument in favor of limiting this by subject matter, like we have this reconciliation that applies to budget bills only, um, so that we're not now, you can't have a bare majority uh, change every single form of policy. But as Mel says, the history and the history matters, Stephen, because uh, it's it's one of the places where where we look for precedent. The history is once a new voting rights threshold is reached, um, the Senate has not tended to step it back. You would, of course, in order to do that, you'd need to have not only the Senate, but the House and then um, the president in place. Uh, uh, otherwise, a adverse president would veto such a bill. So there are other safeguards in place. Look, we know that is a worrying scenario, but the uh, assaults on our democracy, the possible uh, breaking of our democracy with this voting rights onslaught across the country is even more dangerous. So we're forced to take this strong medicine, even though it could have a side effect. Otherwise, this might be a hypothetical debate in which we preserve minority rights in a country that is no longer a democracy. Mm -hmm. That can't be um, the right outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, thanks very much for the call. Uh, and the question, Ed, uh, let's go to Greg and Fraser. Greg, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Uh -huh. um, I just wanted to um, say that I believe that uh, in the Constitution, all the states are guaranteed equal representation in the Senate. And um, by the, uh, the minority states having more power, able to block a majority, they're actually giving those states more power, uh, greater representation than the other states. And I believe um, uh, Nixon, uh, back in the 60s, as president of the Senate, declared parts of the uh, uh, 
parts of that unconstitutional and was able to pass legislation on a simple majority in the 60s. I believe like Mitch McConnell and Harry Reid are doing that or did that in the past as well mm. for like a couple of, of judges and uh, different bills. And so um, I believe Kamala Harris, as president of the Senate, could declare that is unconstitutional because it doesn't allow for equal representation of the states. Um, mm. That's uh, defined in the Constitution. Yeah, Greg, uh, great points and great insight and great question. Uh, Mel Barnes, uh, talk about these ideas as possible solutions, and then uh, feel free to add in any of the the solutions that you have come up with that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet. So Greg gets to a really important point, which is there all there already are all these exceptions to the filibuster roadblock that we have in the Senate because they've been necessary. Um, we have developed a process of budget reconciliation to pass um, critical financial legislation to keep our government funded, to keep everything working on a simple majority threshold because it was necessary. We've now done the same for judicial appointments. Um, this is The filibuster is not a hard and fast rule that blocks everything. It's actually, the, the Senate has developed a slew of ways to work around this, to have exceptions, to get the business of governing done. So filibuster reform is not actually a radical concept. The filibuster has been reformed and changed many, many times over. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we don't even need to to look back as far as the, the days of Aaron Burr and the Civil Rights uh, Act debates. We, you know, we've seen changes in the 70s with creating the two um, the two track uh, process in the Senate, where which is what got rid of the talking filibuster. Um, the whole institution of the filibuster is just a history of reform and evolution, and it is time for the next step in that evolution. Mm. Uh, again, Greg, thanks very much for the call and uh, the insights. Let's go to Aaron in Livonia. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks. Just a quick question. Uh -huh. um, I understand the concerns regarding the precedent it, it may set if you eliminate the filibuster uh, when another uh, parties in power. But I'd just like to hear your thoughts on, you know, given Mitch McConnell's history and many statements he's made, uh, it seems to me they would do away with the filibuster no matter what happens, uh, should Republicans be in, in power. So why wait or be concerned if, in my opinion, it seems like it's likely to happen regardless? Hmm. Great question, Aaron. Uh, Norm, what's the answer? Um, well, um, Aaron, um, you know, um, I, I'm not certain that we can be confident that this is something that would happen regardless. Um, the, we're at such critical time, such a critical juncture. There's an opening now. Um, I think we need to act fast and seize the moment. Hmm. Wow. Uh, Aaron, I appreciate the call and uh, the question. Let's go to Jack in Dexter. Jack, welcome to the show. Uh, hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I just wonder why there's such a, uh, a concern about losing the filibuster when it was, I'm not a historian, but I believe that it was started by Southern Democrats to prevent uh, Republicans from from uh, exerting too much control over the former slave states. And so we have the Electoral College, which guarantees the rights of uh, lower populations, and uh, the Senate. So why not get rid of it? I mean, hmm. certainly if the next, the different party comes into power, then... It's just the democracy working. Mm. Uh, Jack, it's a it's a great question, and Mel, this this idea that um, that the filibuster, as opposed to these other provisions, either of the Constitution or of rules or law that protect uh, minority interests, why why is this the one that gets the most attention? Is it because 
it is sort of most obvious in the way that it that it thwarts democratic interest. I think that's part of it. I think people intuitively understand how frustrating and unjust it is to let a majority of senators block even debate on these really important pieces of legislation, preventing our government from even discussing enacting things like voting rights reform. And the history is absolutely there. This is a tool that has been honed to prop up the powers that be and keeping um, keeping the elected officials who are already there in power and um, preventing things like voting rights and the Civil Rights Act from passing earlier, despite the fact that they have the majority of the country's support when you talk to individual voters. And I think people are feeling that and feeling frustration with the filibuster right now because so much of the American public already supports the things that are being blocked right now in the form of things like the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. Um, these policies are really popular and people don't understand why their government can't get them passed. Hmm. Okay, Norm Eisen and Mel Barnes. It was really great to have both of you here with us for this conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks. That's going to do it for us today. Special thanks to Detroit Today student producer Sam Corey for his work on today's show. Good work, Sam. Tune in tomorrow when Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin is joining to join the program to talk about infrastructure, build back better her legislation to bolster the national stockpile, and more. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.